If you're just tuning in, I suggest you go back and start listening from chapter one. Before we start, a content warning. This episode contains graphic accounts of gun violence, as well as domestic and sexual violence. On today's episode, we wanted you to get to hear some of the suppressed evidence in April's murder case. During the fall of 1997, Terry's nephew, Justin Bruton, was living in Kansas City, Missouri, and dating a girl named Anastasia. In October, Anastasia was found dead of a gunshot wound to the face in a cemetery in a suburb of Kansas City. When Terry heard about the murder, he told April, the bitch got what she deserved, and you're next. April's trial counsel tried to get this evidence in to show her state of mind at the time of the shooting. The state filed a motion in limine to keep this evidence out, and the court ruled in favor of the state. On today's episode, Colleen explains and I react as she tells me the details of the other murder associated with the Carlton family, and some curious facts that have emerged about the murder and the potentially wrongful conviction of Byron Case in Missouri. fucking wild dude like the, the fact that these two <laughs> cases are originating from the same family and they're yeah. both crazy they're really wild is just beyond me how yeah. that happened today we're going to be talking about the murder of anastasia whitbull's fugan um, and the suicide of justin bruton just the relationship to um april's case is that justin bruton was terry carlton's nephew he was the son of Brenda Carlton Bruton, Terry's sister. So Justin Bruton had a, a girlfriend back in mid to late 90s named Anastasia Whipples-Fugan, who uh, turns up shot in the head in a cemetery. And Colleen's going to give us the full breakdown of, of what happened, but it's just kind of this bizarro offshoot second wild murder situation relating to the Carlton family. Yes. And the reason it's relevant, we think, to the story of April and Terry is because so Anastasia was found murdered in October 22nd of 1997. Seven. And uh, that was, if you'll recall from episode three of Panic Button, uh, the time period after the guitar neck incident when April was being held hostage in August of 97 and then... Um, when she was raped brutally on December 6th of 1997. Um, and during this period, she was trying to stay away from Terry, but he was. she also had a prowler uh, during that fall. And so um, when the murder happens of Anastasia, who we're, we're going to go into it in just a minute, um, during that fall and winter, we know that Terry told April during one of his fits of rage that he believed Justin killed Anastasia and that she was going to be next. April would be April next. April would be next. And so uh, we believe the state of mind of the defendant in a, a self-defense case is of primary importance. Yep. And if you were in a physical altercation with someone or a life and death fight with someone and you knew 
that quote you were going to be next then then physical death becomes a, a very real possibility for you right and uh there was a motion in limine in april's trial to bring so in the motion in limine would have excluded this testimony yes yeah. yes so the motion in limine was by the prosecutor and it was yeah. actually granted which means the evidence was kept out of the right. case. Yeah, so the jury never heard anything about the Bruton murder or um, Terry's statements to April or how that affected her state of mind and her very real fear of being physically harmed by him. Yes. Okay, so let's get started. For reference, you know, Colleen has spent uh, quite a bit of time reviewing the testimony and competing websites. Uh, one website maintained by Anastasia's family and the other website maintained by the um, young man's family who ends up being tried and convicted for the murder. His name is Byron Case. Um, but so Very um, unfortunate that his last name is Case because uh, makes looking up anything <laughs> about him extremely difficult Byron because case case. anyone who has the first name Byron who has any type of case also comes up. So I have done some good uh, whittling down with quote marks in Google and we're, we're good there. Yeah. You've taken a look also at some news stories, right? Yeah. I looked at all the press leading up to the case um, and the timelines and some of the testimony from the trial. Um, it, this is not as well researched as we normally do with April's stuff because it's just a tangential sort of thing. Well, and there's parts of this case that maybe we'll never know the truth to. That's right. You know, there's some things that are at this point just not knowable. And so take everything you hear today with a grain of salt. I think that is the the overarching theme, um, you know, do your own research, look into this. But the fact, there's so, there's some knowable facts that Anastasia Whipple's Fugin was murdered, that Justin Bruton committed suicide within 12 hours of her murder before she was discovered and... Before she was identified. Before she was identified. So I would also like to say that me personally, as an attorney, I'm not making any kind of statements as to whether or not Mr. Case is innocent or guilty. Sure. I actually have pretty significant questions um, okay. about that. And I haven't myself come to any type of conclusion. So I'm just presenting the information as someone who has come across all of this in relation to April's case. Sure. And I think the, the, the final point that you guys should take away from this is how it relates to her state of mind that we mentioned earlier, that she had a very real fear of Terry and this played into that. Whether whoever murdered Anastasia Whitbull's Fugan Byron Case has been convicted um, and is currently serving a life sentence. And without parole. Without parole. So, But all that matters really for our purposes, as far as April goes, is the fact that she knew about it and she had a very real fear of Terry. So, yes. Hit me with the facts. Okay. Okay, so this story, it really centers around this group of four friends. Um, we have Anastasia Whitbulls-Fugan. You have Byron Case. You have Kelly Moffitt. And you have Justin Bruton. So Kelly and Byron were together. They were dating. And Anastasia or Stasia and Justin were dating. Byron was 19 and Kelly, his girlfriend, was 15. Wow. Yeah. So she was in eighth grade when they met. Not, not a good look. No. Um... Anastasia was a high school senior, 
So she was 18, and her boyfriend was a freshman at um, the University of Missouri, Kansas City. So UMKC. Okay. He had gone up there after he graduated in Tulsa from, I don't know which high school, but he graduated in Tulsa and moved up to Kansas City, and his parents, Brenda and John Bruton, Terry's sister and brother-in-law, Paid for him to get an apartment up there in like a cool neighborhood in Kansas City while he's going to college. And all of his friends knew that his his family had a lot of money. So they kind of just like send him money to buy whatever he needs. He's like this 19-year-old kind of wilding out in Kansas City at the time. As you do. Like you do. And he meets Anastasia. Um, They fall in love very quickly through the months of April and May of 1997. And oh, wow. So after, they were not together long. No, not okay. very long. So he attends her high school graduation. They um, actually, she's decided at her graduation ceremony, which is in early June of 97, that she's going to move in with him. And wow. her graduation present from her mom was pots and pans for their apartment so they're moving in together she goes and moves in with his fancy apartment that's been being paid for by the brudens and um very in love her sister says that she only saw her a couple of times during these months that she's living with justin but by the time her younger sister is ready to go back to school and has a back to school party in august anastasia is moving back in with her parents so Wow, so within two months? Yeah, like it, from June until August, they're already like having problems. Right, because they're 18 and 19. Yes. And... But during that time when they were moved in together, Justin had proposed to her and Whoa. they were going to be married. But then. Wow, that's shadows of Terry and April. Little creepy, yeah. fast moving, love bombing type of stuff. Yeah. Um, he. Calls off the engagement, which okay. doesn't want to get married to her, doesn't love her anymore, says he doesn't love her anymore. And she is like so perplexed about why. That would be devastating if you were 18. Right. Like your first I mean, time after like... high school, he's this college guy. He's yeah. very cool. You're like really into it. And then he just says, no, thank you very much. There's not really very much information about why or what happened. He just kind of says to his dad, John... Um, I don't know why I don't love Anastasia anymore. And it makes me so upset that I don't love her anymore. I wish I could make myself love her again. Whoa. Weird. So it's August of 97. They're broken up and back together, broken up and back together. Um, Very tumultuous. But like one of the things that they always do is they always hang out with their friends, Byron and Kelly. So... A lot of what this group of friends does is they pick each other up and drive around because you're 18, 19 years old and there's not really much else to do in Kansas City. Right. They would go to movies. They would go to the mall. They would um, do just random driving around. They would do drugs and drink. We know that Kelly was, was doing drugs, at least smoking weed and doing some drugs before she even met Byron. So she's kind of like um, rebellious as a teenager. Okay. And her mom will later say that she was doing drugs and stuff 
before she even met him. Okay. Hard drugs or like... I think on and off. And Kelly testifies at trial for a long time. And one of the things she says is that, you know, I was doing a little bit of drinking and a little bit of drugs before all this happened, but we'll get into this, but it gets a lot worse later. Right, 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 right. Because she, it's three years before they charge Byron, right? Three years yes. after the murder. Yes. There's a long bit of stuff that happens after the murder where no one's getting tried. There's not really any investigation. And you can, that makes sense because like, if you assume that she was shot by Justin and then Justin shot himself as a police force, you're not going to spend a bunch of investigatory resources looking into this because it's like, Oh, it was a murder suicide. Right. Um, and is that the position the police were taking for this? That's pretty much what they thought because they were seeking Justin after they found her. Yeah. They were looking for him. And there were two news articles where they say he's not a suspect, but we're seeking him for questioning. Because it was several days before he was found, right? It was two days. Two days. She passes away on the 22nd of October in the evening. We know it's sometime after six. And he's not found until there's a full day in between. And then he gets found like at 2.30 the day day after the first day. Gotcha. And in the morning of that day, he calls Byron. Like in the early morning, it says he can't sleep. Mm, Okay. And Byron's like, do you even know what time it is? I'm asleep. I got to go. Like hangs up and just goes back to bed. So then that was the last time he ever talked to him because he He shot himself. Shot himself. Yeah. Okay. Behind this warehouse. Yeah. And there's some stuff about the car, right? I don't know anything about the car. Oh, I had read, um, this would have been on an Anastasia leaning website because it, it indicated that um, someone had come for Justin because a bunch of, his car doors were all open and his body was found outside the car um, leaning against the warehouse. Weird. Yeah. So um, it's October... Anastasia and Justin have been on and off. She's very bereft about them breaking up. And he's saying this stuff like, I don't love you anymore. I just don't. I can't help it. And um, he's supposed to go and meet her to talk about their relationship. And so she has her stepmom drop her off at a cemetery. It's Kansas City. Isn't there a Dairy Queen? Yeah, there's a Dairy Queen right down the street from the cemetery and a gas station. The weirdest part about this is that her stepmom's like, yes, I will pick you up from our house and drop you off at a cemetery, 18-year-old daughter of mine. Dude. And then I will leave you there. Yikes. (laughs) <laughs> what why were they were kind of goth kids though, yeah so they? that's part of this too that we're gonna have to a get into satanic, a little satanic panic, panic stuff yeah. there is satanic like panic lingering stuff. satanic panic stuff in the, there in is the late 90s. there is there is there's a whole article where it's posited that they were these like goth kids and then the reporter goes to um a cafe where goth kids are known to hang out and talks to another goth kid about how goth is about embracing death man <laughs> super goth man. And, well there's that photo of byron on the internet yes right? like very manson Marilyn he manson. looks like a manson kid she anastasia herself had like she has strawberry like brown strawberryish red hair 
But uh, during those like most recent months of leading up to her death, she had dyed it black and Justin's hair was black. And so goth. We think they're goth because they had black hair. Uh, and they go, they do hang, okay, they do want to hang out in a cemetery. That's where he told her to meet him. Oh, that was his choice. Yeah. Oh. So, but it was a place where they, quote unquote, according to one of the newspaper articles, frequented. So we're thinking like goth kids hang out in the cemetery. You know, in the 90s, you don't have a smartphone. You don't have anything to do. It was also the time the when the craft. The craft, bro. Great, great movie. I mean... Yeah. Practical Magic, The Craft. Ooh, also a good movie. I love Practical Magic. Me too, I'll watch yeah. it anytime. Anytime. You can put it on any, anytime and anytime. I will watch the entire thing. It's so thing. good. It is so good. It yeah. is so good. Yeah. Anyways, um, so <laughs> Stepmom drops her off at, at a gate of a cemetery. And there's. At mm, night, right? It's night. It was at 4 20 p.m. Okay. So yeah, it's about it's to get dark. Yeah. No one thinks this is weird. It's the dude. It's the '90s. I think cultural context. There's. It's the mall or the cemetery. Those are your heading out. What? <laughs> there's no other choice. I would have taken my kid to the DQ though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, like, if you haven't, maybe she hasn't seen the craft. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Like, I think that that's probably what's happening. If she hasn't, she needs to immediately. Uh, so here's a really weird detail that I think is going to foreshadow some stuff that happens later um her stepmom goes home and gets a call from her husband robert whitbulls fugan and he tells her stasia was taken to a cemetery and i'm worried that her friends that are supposed to meet her there aren't going to come he, wait, dad calls mom to say Dad that? calls stepmom back at the house after she's dropped her off and says, I'm worried someone's dropped her off at a cemetery. Was it is it the stepmom, right? It was the person he's talking to that dropped her off. How did he know that? Well, well how did he know that? Weird. Oh, fuck, bro. Okay. And he says, I'm worried they're not going to come and get her. So then stepmom leaves again, goes, drives back to the cemetery to go get her because now she's worried. Sure. Did the stepmom reveal that it was she who had taken? Yeah, Anastasia? she said it was me. I took, like, her, I took there. her there. And was dad like, go get her? I don't know. She doesn't say that in her testimony. She just says, I got, I started to get worried too. Yeah, that would be unsettling. So then I went, but, but like, okay, wait, how does he know that? Right. How does he know that? And why is he saying it like he doesn't know it's the stepmom that did it? Right. And why is he saying, I'm worried her friends aren't going to come and meet her? How would he? Why would he think that? Right. Why would he think that? Yeah, no, because I know. Because ultimately, ultimately, her friends do not come and meet her. That's right. Yeah. So this detail to me looks like something you would interject into your testimony after the fact to be like, I was a worried and concerned parent. Mm. Had a feeling. Just had a weird feeling that I now know was my child. Two years later that she wasn't met at the cemetery. So stepmom goes back to look for her. She's not there by 6 p.m. So it's 6 p.m. She dropped her off at 420. It's 6 p.m. She goes back to the cemetery. Stasia is not in the cemetery now. An hour and 40 minutes later. Yeah. Where'd she go? During this same hour and 40 minutes, walked to the quick save. And called Justin and been like, 
what the fuck, bro? You gonna leave me hanging in the goddamn cemetery when we're supposed to be talking about our relationship? Oh, they were gonna talk about their relationship. They were gonna talk about their relationship because they were on the rocks and she wanted to get back together and he didn't. And he didn't love her and she wanted to know why. Sure. Fair. So Byron and Justin come to pick Kelly up and they were just dicking around at Justin's apartment when they get this phone call from Stasia at the cemetery. Okay. And they're like, okay, I guess we'll go meet her. So they do go pick her up. Then, according to all the other testimony that happens, basically, they drive around. Byron and Kelly get dropped off. And then Anastasia and Justin get into a fight in the car. And Justin, and she gets out. This just, is the, some, just, just, just the two of them there? Just the two of them. How does anyone know this? Right. Yeah. Right. So how can anyone testify to this? It's basically like... Objection. We're, we're like piecing together like all kinds of stuff happening here. It's very weird. But nobody else was present. Nobody, nobody can testify no, to that. No, no, no. But Kelly says later that she and Byron were in the car. And that they drove back to the cemetery and she sees Byron get out of the car, open the trunk, get a gun out while, while Justin... And Anastasia are outside the car arguing, and he goes up and shoots her and gets back in the, in the car. And then Justin gets back in the car, and they all drive away. What? That is ultimately how he gets convicted off of this testimony from Kelly that's like, doesn't make any, none of it makes any sense. And it's inconsistent with her prior statement. Yes. Well, a lot, because she told her dad... That Byron did it. She told her mom that Justin did it. She told her drug counselor that Justin did it. Then she tells her drug counselor once the drug counselor has to call the police. Then she tells the drug counselor, no, wait, it was Justin. No, wait, it was Byron. At that time when she's at that time when she's like making these totally incoherent and inconsistent statements, was she saying I was there and I saw Anastasia get mm-hmm. yes. shot? So she's yes. been she's been consistent saying that she saw her get shot the whole time. No, she told everybody that she told everybody that Anastasia and Justin went in the car by themselves, that they got into a fight, that Anastasia got out of the car and refused to get back in on a corner in a place in Kansas City called that's a neighborhood called Erotic City, which is a bad neighborhood. That was a and that he drove off and left her on the street corner, and that's the last time anybody saw her. Is that her first statement? Yes. That's her first statement. Yes. <sighs> yes. Okay, and then she goes through this rigmarole of Justin, Byron, Justin. But that's two years later, after oh, she's been living in crack houses and stuff for two right, years. Right, because Kelly gets very seriously addicted to hard drugs. Yeah, yes. Unfortunately. And according to her... She says, you know, she was drinking and stuff and a little bit of drugs before this happened, but really, you know, having to deal with the fallout of this Mm -hmm. is what has propelled her into hard drugs and um, sleeping on crack house couches. She's a 15-year-old girl, like, living in and out of crack houses for two years, basically. God, that sucks because I totally understand why, how that, like, if you went, if you witnessed or underwent or even were even tangentially involved in something as traumatic as this, of course, that would cause someone predisposed to drug use to, you know, potentially spin out. Yeah. And what, su- what sucks, okay, because I know we're going to get into this in a little bit, but Kelly being a drug addict... We have themes of this familiar yeah. 
aura in our case. So right. we can't talk too much trash right. about somebody who can't remember all the details. Or and is, like, in, but here's the difference. Okay, is scattered. Here's the difference. So it's Kelly. Kelly's a drug addict. It undercuts her credibility. We know that happens with April. We've talked about it. Um, but the difference between, I guess, Kelly and April is April has always been consistent. And yes. April's testimony and, and statements have always been corroborated. Yes. And I don't know that that's true with Kelly. I mean, it sounds like Kelly's been pretty inconsistent. It's it's pretty fucking crazy, really, honestly. Because, so, ultimately, these four people, according to Kelly, it's very important, four people sitting in a cemetery. Well, right before they get there, right before they meet up with Anastasia, she says that Justin and Byron have already been hatching a scheme all day to kill Anastasia. They want to kill her. And Justin says his life would just be so much better if she was dead. And Byron has always wanted to kill someone, quote unquote. So he's going to be the one that does it. And they agree that that he's going to do it. When he gets her out of the car and they, they're talking, Byron's, they've made this whole plan, according wow. to Kelly. Okay. But Kelly doesn't reveal this until many years later. This is three years later. Yeah. And it's after she's already accidentally told someone at the drug rehab that this is why she's gone down this whole chaotic path for the last three years of using crack. And there's a $15,000 reward in the case that was put up by none other than our favorites. The Carlton The family. Carlton family. 10000 of it was them. Wow. Uh, 5000 of it was the Whitball's Fugan dad. Wow. Unfortunately for Kelly, she doesn't call the tips line, which is how you would have to get the reward. Okay. She goes to the prosecutor, so she... I don't know if that's unfortunately for Kelly. Well, it's probably... uneligible yeah. to avail herself. I don't know where that 15000 would have gone when she was still... Struggling. Anyway. It ended up going back to the families because no one ever claimed it. Sure. But there was this incentive, potentially, to come forward and uh, close the case, Did she know about the incentive? Yeah. Yeah. It was all over the papers. Yeah. All everywhere. They put a new article about it, like, every six months. Okay. Because Robert Whitbold's Fugan... Is a very prominent character in this story. Okay. That's Anastasia's dad. That's that is her dad. The I made face a face. That is <laughs> I made a face. She's gearing up to explain some shit. So she's found in cemetery with one bullet in basically her nose area into the face. Entrance wound on the front? Yes. She gets shot and falls back. Oh, so she's not she's face up. Yeah. Um, she's found by a sheriff's deputy who is on patrol the next day. So she's been laying out there. Did anybody report it? No. He was just doing a patrol. Through the cemetery? Yeah. Maybe it was Maybe it was just like a hangout for... Yeah, maybe. Drug-using kids. Or he thought she was drunk. That's what he testifies to. He thought she was just drunk and passed out. And he wow. needed to go rouse her. Um, and so... You know, obviously the investigation starts. They say, you know, an unidentified woman found in the cemetery. Does anybody have any information? Two days later, Justin is found. It is an apparent suicide. There was literally no investigation about that. And he's found in the back of an abandoned warehouse with a gun that he bought that day. Yes. After he talked to Byron on the phone, he goes and buys a gun 
and shoots himself. And the guns are different, right? The gun that shot Anastasia is not a shotgun. Yes. He kills himself with a shotgun. According to Kelly, Byron gets this old hunting gun that he he stole from his dad out of the trunk and shoots Anastasia. And even though Justin had agreed to that during the time that they were planning, he tells... He's trying to tell Byron, no, no, please don't do this. Stop, stop, stop. She's seeing this and hearing it from inside the car? Yes. She's inside the... She's on the passenger side in the back seat. And all of this is occurring in the front of the car to the left. Basically, the car is, you know, in the middle and you see Kelly sitting in the back passenger seat and then off to the front left of the driver's side, you see Justin and Anastasia. Anastasia would be facing Justin. Justin's further from the car, okay? So Anastasia has her back to. Yes, would have had her back to. Then Byron gets out of the driver's side of the car in in the back seat, goes around to the back of the trunk, gets this old hunting gun out, it's like a rifle? It is like a rifle, yes. And he gets it out of the trunk, and he goes up to where they are on the front left of the car. And even though Anastasia, quote-unquote, was talking to Justin and having this fight, and he's coming up to her back, and Justin's waving his arms at Byron like, no, no, don't do it, he just puts one shot straight into her face, even yeah. though she was facing the other way. Does, does Kelly testify he shoots her from behind? She testifies that that Byron shoots Anastasia coming up from behind her. Yes. With a rifle? With a rifle. And the only b- bullet wound is in between her eyes. And it's that is an entrance wound. Yes. And then she falls flat on her back. This makes no sense. And then he gets puts the gun back in the trunk, gets in the passenger side, front seat... Justin runs and gets in the driver's seat, and they drive away. Okay. All right. I have questions. Yeah. (laughs) That's Kelly. Okay. Let me make sure this is really clear. That is Kelly's testimony three years after the murder when she's previously told everybody that she was not there, that Anastasia got out on a street corner, that she was upset, that she did not... uh, did not want to talk to Justin anymore and that she just and Justin just drove off and nobody knew what happened to her anymore after that. Uh, no, no, that that would track for me. That would track for me because then Justin like you know you know what I mean? Like if Justin went back later. Or he went and found her and they got went back to the cemetery to have this conversation yeah. and then he shoots her. But what, still the gun. Right. What's what kind of gun did they just did they just like determine it was a long gun? Or like what caliber bullet? I mean, there's a ton of ballistics and stuff like that. I haven't gotten that far okay. on it, so I can go. But the gun was never found, minute. right? So then she says, then Kelly says that they drive in Justin Bruton's car to an industrial area. I'm putting that in quotes. You guys can't see the air quotes. Air quotes. Industrial area, and Byron gets out and chucks the gun as hard as he can into this industrial area, and then they drive away. What is an industrial? Like a quarry? Yeah, like later. (laughs) (laughs) Later, the sheriff's deputy who's hearing this for the first time, who's already heard her testimony like several times before that's totally inconsistent, 
has her drive around with him to all these places that she thinks it is and quote, everything looks familiar and none of this. He couldn't, he said, if I bring a search party out here to find a gun, will we find anything? And she says, maybe. And she says that about like five different places. And so they never found the gun. Jeez. I don't know. Yeah. Mess. Yeah. Very messy. None Uh, of that makes any sense to me. Like her testimony just is, no. That story does not make sense. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't for a lot of reasons. But then, but then, okay, before any of this, she also says that her and Byron and Justin would hang out all the time. Sometimes Anastasia would be there and sometimes not, but they would be like hatching crimes together. So um, Justin and Byron would talk about going down to Tulsa and robbing Justin's parents, the Brutons. Because they were so rich. The Carlton Brutons. The Carlton Brutons. That they had actually planned a robbery at one point and started driving down the turnpike to get down there. And then 30 minutes later, they stopped and got donuts and turned back around. I mean, it just, like, to me, it just sounds like kids who are doing drugs and kind of... Acting stupid. Just acting stupid. Because I know that Byron does actually get a felony theft charge, though, in 98. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. So after the murder... um. And before, you know, two years before Kelly changes her story and gets Byron charged, he gets arrested and pleads guilty to a felony theft or charge of some type. So, I mean, you know, doing crimes. Doing crimes. Doing some crimes. Doing some crimes. Well, she says that um, they had you know, always talked about like big talk that they were going to do crimes, but she never actually saw them commit any crimes. Sounds like just teenage boy bullshit. Right. Like just teenage boys talking a bunch (laughs) of shit or like unchecked male testosterone. I mean, that's what this sounds like. Honestly, it's just like like, stupid, like teenage boys can be super stupid and also super dangerous. And they would hang out and watch violent movies. And he apparently, according to Kelly, Justin was on mescaline. That's like the fucking drug that they take in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas when all the lizards are having sex with each other in the yeah. hotel. Yeah. No, okay, so... That shit's crazy. In, like, in my younger years of, like, thinking about drugs, <laughs> I was such a square. But, like, <laughs> if you were, like, to rank the seriousness of drugs, <laughs> it would be, like, you know, uh, occasionally taking Adderall, weed... Then you're getting to like coke and heroin, and then it gets to like PCP and mushrooms, and then like way up there you're getting a mess. I don't even PCP know and mushrooms what are the same happens. Level. I don't know what PCP is. Is that what is that? The street term for it. I have to check with Tim Harris, I but I believe acid. the street term is angel dust. Oh my god, I thought it was acid. No, no, no. But People like, I, I would so say acid and mushrooms are not quite as serious as PCP. Okay, okay, okay. Redo. Redo <laughs> the, the scale. It no, doesn't here. matter, Without anyways, revealing. because no matter what the scale is, mescaline <laughs> is at the <laughs> very top, right next to ayahuasca. For you to be. A 19-year-old freshman. Where are you getting mescaline in Kansas City in 1997? Mescaline is not medicinal. (laughs) Mescaline is serious shit, though. No, for real. 
Okay, if anything uh, that I know to be true from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, it's serious shit. I think the only thing I would think is like more serious than that is like when in Pulp Fiction, they have to like jam that needle into that man's heart of adrenaline. Yeah, Uma Thurman. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> it's Uma, Uma Thurman. Thurman. But that's because she snorts the heroin that she thinks is coke. Yes. Most of our drug references are clearly coming from the <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, these are the movies they were watching, so I feel like it's appropriate. Yeah, right. Um, okay. Not a great dude, apparently. Um, we don't have any direct evidence that he was physically abusive. We know that they were back and forth, that they were like, I'm in love, and then they weren't, and then, like, it was just a lot of breaking up and getting back together, and everything felt very serious all the time. Um, that's why they had to get to a cemetery to discuss their relationship status. Pretty poetic. Um, there are a number of things that could have happened to her. She could have walked off from that street corner and been shot by some stranger. Sure. Okay. She could have been picked back up by Justin, taken to the cemetery, and shot by him. Sure. And then he got rid of the gun. Yeah. She could have been shot alone by Byron Case. Like, he could have gone with her or met her at the cemetery and shot her. Sure. Or Kelly. Yeah. Like, we do not know anything about after her stepmom drops her off at 420, and that's it. That's the last time we know what that's happened That's, like, to the, her. Last the last The reliable, last reliably verified testimony about yeah. what happened, about where she was. We don't know anything about Justin. Justin's not here to testify. And there was 48 hours when he was still alive, um, at, or almost, after she was shot... That he could have done any number of things with a gun or... All right, let's talk about Robert. <laughs> okay. I have absolutely no opinion about a parent going completely apeshit after their kid is murdered. Because I would too. Yeah, no, like, uh, I have an opinion and it's that that's an okay Except response. that was what you would do. Yeah. So, Robert, after this happens, he is a very intense person. And I think he was already a very intense person before. He basically makes it his business to harass the Kansas City Sheriff's Office to figure out what happened, to close the case. Because like we were saying earlier, if you have a if you have a lover's feud type of case where it's a murder-suicide, it's not gonna get a bunch of department resources devoted to investigation because you're just like, okay, we already know what happened. Like, but they never could officially they never could officially say what if just like they couldn't link Justin either. They moved him from wanting to ask him questions to an active suspect after he shot himself. Right. I mean, it's very suspicious. But they obviously couldn't close the case because you can't ask somebody that's dead what happened. So they just, but you know, it's pr more probable, like Occam's Razor, it's more probable that he shot her and then killed himself than anything else. Yeah. I would agree with that. She was found in her spot, in their spot, where they were supposed to have this conversation about their relationship. Right. Lover's spat. Yeah. Um, Did he have any known guns? I don't know. Prior to that shotgun? I do not know. Okay. But anyways, so they kind of just put the case on ice. They're like, there's no, there's nothing to look into here. And as a parent who just lost their kid, you're going to be very unsatisfied with that. Right, I would be all like inside the police department's asshole. That is basically what he does. <laughs> I would insert myself he goes as a to suppository. The press. He's having candlelight vigils. Here's where it gets weird. Uh, Kelly 
comes forward to the drug counselor, right, when she's in rehab two and a half years later and accidentally spills the beans about why she's so depressed, which is, I watched my friend get shot, quote unquote, by Byron or Justin. I have said both so many times. I can't keep it straight. That's not what she says. (laughs) That's not what she says. That's my editorializing. (laughs) She says to the drug counselor, she says it was Justin. And then to her dad, she says it was Byron. And then to her mom, she says it was Justin. And then when they confront her with the inconsistency, she says, okay, it was Byron. So she goes back and forth several times. She's very, very worried, obviously, that she's going to get prosecuted for a co-defendant murder type of situation because she was in the car and hasn't told anybody what happened. So she comes across the advice of a friendly lawyer named John O'Connor. It is not the Attorney General of Oklahoma, (laughs) which would be in character with this case, and I thought it was for a second too, but it's just... The links, the links amongst (laughs) everything. Uh, No, it's John O'Connor of Kansas City. Okay. He instructs her to go to a prosecutor who gives her immunity. Sure. That attorney is Robert Whipple's Fugan's attorney. So how did she find Mr. O'Connor? Because Robert Whipple's Fugan was contacting her over and over and over again for the entire time after this happened and calling her and calling her and calling her until she finally came forward, quote unquote, with what happened, quote unquote. So she comes forward to the police. She goes to the prosecutor. She gets immunity. They say, well, this is true. We need corroborating evidence like good officers do. Yeah, that's good police work. Good police work. And in order to confirm your story, we need to get a taped con- conversation between you and Byron. Ah, uh, I read about this on one of the websites. It's yeah. bad. So this attorney, John O'Connor, not Attorney General John O'Connor, a different one, and the prosecutor coach her to get a recorder and call Byron Case. Okay. Calls, 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 calls. Are they dating at that time? No, they had broken up by now, and he's moved to St. Louis because he's trying to leave the past behind. Sure. And she's very upset that he's left and um, didn't want him to leave and thought it wasn't fair that he gets to leave and leave all this behind while she's getting harassed by Robert Whipple's Fugan. Bro, get a restraining order. Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. Don't go to his attorney. So it calls Byron. Finally, the police have to track down Byron's phone number because she cannot find it. So the police get her Byron's number in St. Louis. And according to him, he has 103 degree fever and he's very sick when she calls him. And she is going off in this phone call. Byron, hello. Kelly, is Byron there? Byron, yes, speaking. Kelly, Byron, this is Kelly. Hello. I realize you probably don't want to talk to me. I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. I absolutely fucking have to talk to you. Okay? Hello? You're listening? Okay. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Kelly! That sounds like somebody who's taken an upper. Some extremely bad shit has gone down. Are you listening to me? Byron, yeah. Kelly, okay. I don't know what to do, and that's why I called you, because you do realize that I've been a drug addict for some time. My memory is not that good, and they are harassing me for information now, and I don't know what to do about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Byron, yeah. Kelly, okay. 
Anastasia's dad has called me. Um, two or three investigators have called me, and I don't know what to do. I don't remember the whole story, and I need your information, please, because they are going to call me in. They're going to fucking ask me for a lie detector test again, and I have no idea, okay? I know I'm probably the last person on the earth you want to talk to, but we have to talk about this. Otherwise, we're both fucked. Byron, well, I, Kelly, what? <laughs> Byron, where are you? Kelly, I'm at my parents' house. Byron, you're still there? Kelly, what? Byron, are you still there? Kelly, yes, I'm still there. Why? What? Byron, oh, nothing. Kelly, yes, I'm still living here. Byron, that's odd. Kelly, what? What? Byron, I said it was just odd. Kelly, how is that odd? Byron, I don't know. Kelly, where the fuck else am I going to go? Byron, I don't know. Kelly, why are you at your parents' house? Byron, oh, don't even ask. Kelly, I won't ask. But seriously, this is fucked and we're both going to be fucked. Seriously, I'm not kidding. Byron, you know. Kelly, what do you mean you know? What? Byron, I don't remember. Kelly, you don't remember? Byron, what? Kelly, what? This is, this is chaos. <laughs> this is not anything. How is this? How? I'm sorry. This is nothing. This is what they used to put the student in prison for life without parole. You ready? <laughs> He's going. Byron, yeah, just say you don't remember. Kelly, you don't you remember? You don't remember what we said at all? Byron, I do, but... Kelly, but what? Byron, unintelligible. Kelly, that honey... Doesn't track, uh, that doesn't seem right. Kelly, honey, this is, like, not a game anymore, and I've, like, realized that it's, like, to its fullest extent, and it sucks. She's 17 at this point. Yeah. 18. Yeah. This is He's like 23. Fully not a game anymore. To its fullest extent. Like. Like. What do you mean, you know? <laughs> she literally, he's about to tell her shit and she interjects like, dude, you are the worst CI I have ever met. God. <laughs> Bless America. It keeps going. Okay. This is the part that really does it. Um... Byron, I'm sure really surprised they called again. Kelly, that they called again. They've called a bunch again. They called while I was in rehab. They showed up out there. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, seriously, what all went on or whatever. And I seriously, I hate to say this, but why? Seriously, why did you have to kill her? What was the whole fucking big deal? Could you explain that to me? Because I don't get it. Seriously, Justin's dead for no reason. She's dead for no reason. It's all just fucked up. And for some reason, they're talking to me because you won't talk. So I'm fucked and it makes me look horrible because everybody already knows that I'm a fucking crackhead and that I'm a cokehead and I'm an alcoholic and I don't remember shit. And if I tried to talk to them, nothing's going to add up. So, I mean, if you could seriously explain to me as to why you felt the need to kill her, then that would really help me feel better about the whole fucking thing. I mean, I was... Was there seriously any reason to all this? Byron, we shouldn't talk about this. Kelly, why? Byron, probably because we shouldn't talk about this. Kelly, of course we should. Byron, except at least if I need to talk to you. Kelly, what do you mean? Yeah, I would love for you to talk to me about it because my nothing, nothing has been the same since that, okay? And you may have been okay or whatever but all i did was get more drunk and more fucked up and that's it that's it okay i'm not the same person and you know that 
I have not been the same person for years and I hate it. And something seriously has to give or we need to talk or something because for some reason, you know, it just seems like you were inaccessible or you were too cold or something and everybody's coming to me and I can't talk to Anastasia's. Yeah. And I can't talk to Anastasia's dad and I can't do any of this. Byron, unintelligible. Are you fucking kidding me? Kelly, what? Byron, I got, see, I was granted immunity. Kelly, what? Byron, by the lawyer, by the prosecutor, excuse me. Kelly, uh uh-huh. Byron, through my lawyer, because I told him everything about this, you know? I, Kelly, you told what? Byron, I said I told my lawyer flat out I didn't. I wasn't going to remember things. Kelly, "Uh uh-huh. Byron, told the cops that too. I was like, I can't remember things. So basically I would, you know, tell them up front before you go in or agree to meet them. Just say you're not going to remember things. Kelly, I have. Byron, write something on paper that says that, you know. If I fuck up, you know, because I wouldn't want us to, like, slip. Kelly, I have. But that doesn't make any fucking difference. What are you talking about? They told you this and that. They never told me anything. Byron, what? Kelly, what? Byron, never told you what? Kelly, did you, what did you say about immunity? What are you talking about? Byron, well, yeah, that I basically, I was given, which basically means that, like, nothing I said could be used in court against me. Kelly, I guess whatever, but I don't know, okay? I need, I seriously need to talk to you. When is, like, a time we can talk, please? Byron, tomorrow. Kelly, tomorrow when? Byron, when you're free, the earlier the better. Kelly, are you talking about, like, in person or something? Byron, yes. Kelly, because I, yeah, don't like this over-the-phone bullshit, Byron, neither do I. Kelly, but I can't, seriously, I mean, you don't. I was the one that went and took the lie detector test. I was the one that all this shit happened to, and so I'm the one that they're, like, bothering. And for some reason, that dipshit fucking, like, police force out there that talked to us, somehow Anastasia's father has my number, and you know how disturbing he is. Byron, yeah, I know. Kelly, and he's emailing me and he's calling me. I have no idea what to do and I can't remember anything. Byron, don't respond to any of these things. Kelly, I know, but I don't remember anything. The whole thing is like, I thought it would go away and it's not. Okay, well, so do you want, what do you want me to do? Byron, uh, do you have a car? Kelly, yes, I have a car. Do you have a car? Byron, yes. (laughs) Kelly, okay. How about just in the place that I go to in Loose Park is just the main entrance off like 63rd and like the main thing through the plaza. What time do you want to be there? Byron, all right. Kelly, what time? Byron, uh, let's see. How about, well, what time is it? Around midnight? Kelly, yeah, Byron. Uh, to be on the safe side, let's go with 11. Kelly, okay, 11 o'clock, I'll be there. Byron, okay, Kelly, bye. What in the world? So Byron thought he had immunity? According to that phone call, he's saying he went and talked to the prosecutors and they weren't going to use anything he said against him in court. What? Which that's actually enforceable under right. under all of the if case law. If it actually was written down, signed. That phone call was a fucking cluster. Well, the thing that people really find unforgivable about the phone call is that he doesn't ever deny killing her. I know, but it just seems like this girl is talking a mile a minute. And when she asks that question once and then has a whole monologue about 
what's going on. Yeah, like, which thing is he supposed to answer? Yeah, like, she doesn't ask that question and leave any space for him to provide an answer. Right, and he says that he was really sick and, like, had a fever. And if you hear that part where he was, like, um, not answering her, Uh it's they said when they heard it in court, it sounded like he just didn't understand what she was talking about. Right. But this is called a tacit admission. So... (laughs) What the fuck is happening with these teenagers in Kansas City? I don't know. We need answers. We need answers. But okay. Okay. So Robert goes on to essentially, I would call him basically like a consultant for the police during this whole thing. I mean, he's literally calling her, harassing her, trying to get her to have these meetings with them. He hooks her up with his attorney to go to the prosecutor to get immunity. Yeah. Like, that ain't, that ain't, you're inserting yourself. Yeah. To an extreme degree. Yeah. Yeah, well, fast forward. 2014. Did anybody fucking look at Robert? That's a good question at this point, because you know what? He was working late that night. That night that she was shot. And how did he, and he knew about the cemetery somehow. How does he know about stepmoms the cemetery? To be to How does he know about the cemetery? Um, but he was working late that night. He didn't get home until 8.30. When and was she shot? Six? We know she wasn't in the cemetery at six when she goes back to look for her. But you don't know what time it happens. Mm, okay. We know that she probably was actually shot in the cemetery. She, but her body was not moved. It wasn't moved. There was, that was sure the crime blood scene. around her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like he had her somewhere and moved her out there, dumped her. Okay. Okay. So he's been very involved in the case. He posts a website. It's called Stasia.org. He is very adamant that Byron Case murdered his daughter. Okay. Very adamant. More so than... I mean, I guess if you had your kid... I can't say what people will do when their kid is murdered, so it's you know, it seems like too much to me, but <sighs> I can't say that. I don't know. People act weird. But I'll just say this little tidbit real quick. In 2014, prosecuted for forcible sodomy on a child under 15. Robert Robert Whipple's fugian. Anastasia's father. Yep, and took a guilty plea. In 2019, and he got probation. Oh, my God. Probation was it? Probation. What are the details of that case? Who was the kid? Well, we don't know who the kid It's all... None of it's in the... None none of it's been in the papers. It's only on the Missouri case.net. What? Yeah. Okay. And Byron posts about it. And he alleges, actually, that Anastasia and all of her sisters were being abused. Not kidding. And that that is why she moved out so quickly to live with Uh, Justin. And why she was fighting with him so hard to move back in because uh, she didn't want to be in her home. She needed an escape. Wanted to live somewhere else. That is super curious. Took a guilty plea, dude. I know. It's not like... I mean, I'll say all the time that a lot of people take pleas because they are innocent and they just want to get out from under something, but not with a sex offense. I mean, right. That follow, that follows you for life. Sodomy. Sodomy of a minor under 15. Yep. And he got probation. Felony charge or did he plead yeah. down? Yeah. 
So guess yeah, whose lawyer is John O'Connor? Yes. Yikes. So, but the question remains for me, like, okay, I get why Whipple's Fugan would want somebody to go down for this because he has, if it was him, he doesn't want it to be, he doesn't want it to be an open case that they can continue investigating because then they'll find out some shit, right? Like, if you're right. an ongoing, right, sex, not the offender. first, and I'm, it's mean, not something it's you pick last. up and just start doing. You when don't you're just in start your doing it in your sixties. Yeah, no. Um, so let's assume he's been a sex offender all of this time you don't want them to start looking at you so you're going to over investigate you're going to over invest yourself in the case try to get somebody else convicted you're going to be you're beholding candlelight vigils and demanding yeah, police yeah. action on behalf of your child yes yes and putting up websites but like it's oh, there's a lot of questions and the fact that there just simply isn't any any physical evidence linking byron they don't have a murder weapon they don't have like his dna i mean no. like there's nothing they never found bloody clothes of his nope like none of that no it was all circumstantial based on her testimony she's an incredibly unreliable witness i mean from the fact okay when you're (laughs) attorneys have two ideas about innocence there's factual innocence which is he really didn't do it really didn't do it and then there's legal innocence which is maybe he did do it but sure she can't prove it yeah i feel like this falls under one or both of those like as far as legal innocence, this I don't see how you can get a conviction off of this witness who was completely uncorroborated and completely unreliable. Yeah. From but just from the standpoint of like for the last two years she's been living in and out of crack houses, has lied, has told told people two different people committed the murder six different times. Right. I mean And also potentially wasn't even present for the shooting. Right. Like could have not even been there. Could have just been in the car when they dropped her off on the corner, and then she gets brought home. I don't know. It's like it'll forever be a big question mark. But she didn't. This is a real frustrating one because it's like it never. It keeps coming back in circles, and it never has an answer. No. But the idea that this family, the Carlton family, could be connected to two very odd murders, and um. Remember, I mean, remember that April was claiming self-defense and she was claiming battered woman's syndrome. And when we get into the defense's case, this information, I think, is relevant to both of those defenses. Yes, of April's mindset. But the court said it was too um, prejudicial to the state's case to admit any of this information about the Bruton and Whitbold's Fugan murder. Because they felt that the only reason the defense was trying to admit it was to disparage the reputation of the Carlton family. Mm. So, there it is. That is the story of Justin Bruton and Anastasia Whipples-Fugan. And then Robert Whipples-Fugan. And Robert. Convicted child molester. Sex offender. Um, Thanks for listening. I know this was a little different to... um, but we hope you enjoyed it. And sure. <laughs> we hope, though, that you will um, keep sharing the podcast, rating it, reviewing it, and um, following all the pages. Free April Wilkins, OK Appleseed, everybody that matters um, in this effort to bring April home so that you can stay up to date. And please, if we have an event, come on out. Yep. Join the movement. Thanks, everybody.
Panic Button is a co-production of Oklahoma Appleseed Center for Law and Justice and Leslie Briggs. We're your hosts, Colleen McCarty and Leslie Briggs. Our theme music is Velvet Rope by Eon. The production team is Leslie Briggs and Rusty Rowe. We're recorded at Bison and Bean Studio in Tulsa. Special thanks to Lynn Worley, Amanda Ross, and Ashlyn Faulkner for their work on this case. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse, use a safe computer and contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-7233. Help others find our show by leaving us a rating and writing a review. Follow us at OK underscore Appleseed across all social platforms. You can subscribe right now in the Apple Podcast app by clicking on our podcast logo and then hit the subscribe button. If you want to continue the conversation with other listeners, please join our Panic Button podcast community on Bookmarks. Join for free at bit.ly slash 3NRHOAC. Thanks so much for listening.